Hi, I'm Josh. I'm the creative director at Believe Limited and a producer on Bloodstream Media. And for Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month, I'm your host of the Thursday Mental Health Moment. Over the next few weeks, we'll be touching on four major topics related to mental health, and I'll tell you, it could not be better timing. If I'm being honest, I'm no social butterfly. In fact, I'm much happier being approached than approaching someone I don't know. I prefer a quiet pub to a busy bar, a small dinner party to a raging house party. I'm a camera collector and I shoot video, so I'm naturally the type of person who prefers to be observing. I'm a fly on the wall. And while I might not appear this way on the outside or even act the way that you would expect me to in a group setting, I actually really thrive on social interaction. It's essential to who I am. While I might not make the first move, I need to be around other people. You know where this is going, and I swear these Thursday episodes won't dwell too much on the current status of the pandemic, but it's our truth at the moment. This past year, and it has been a year now, has been a tremendous struggle for me because of one tricky little fun-to-say-but-ominous-sounding word. Isolation. Let's have a moment. Since I'll be with you for the next four Thursdays, I thought I'd properly introduce myself by telling you a little bit about my background. I grew up singing and playing music in the church band. In high school, I played guitar and sang with my friends, and eventually I went to college for musical theater. All of this is to say I've always found comfort in expressing myself vocally, in a controlled environment. I started working at Believe at the very beginning. I had been living and working with founder and chief creative officer Ryan Gielen in New York when Patrick needed someone to film him telling his story. Ryan recommended me, and we hopped on a flight together to Las Vegas to attend my first ever bleeding disorders-related event. I'm not even sure what that event was anymore, but the short of the story that Patrick told was that when his younger brother Adam went away to college, he didn't want to be different anymore. None of us knows exactly what he was thinking or feeling, but what I heard when Patrick told the story was that Adam was sick of being the guy with the disorder. He never wanted to identify that way, and college seemed like a fresh start to avoid the isolation that comes with being viewed as different by everybody in the room. And so he fell off his infusion schedule, seemingly for a long period of time, ended up with some type of internal bleeding in his head. What exactly happened, we'll never quite know, but with no medicine in his system, he just bled out and died in his sleep. The show Broad City made the term FOMO famous in a funny way, but fear of missing out is a very real thing. None of us wants to be seen in any other way than we see ourselves. And when it comes to someone putting a barrier between us and what we want to do, what we think we should be allowed to do, it can be tempting to hide or neglect parts of ourselves that might cause others to make those determinations against us. The words, you can't do this, forces us into a painful form of isolation, and that's not where any of us wants to be. Here at Believe, we do a lot of work with people, unique people who have stories to tell, people who may have rare conditions or something that causes them to experience life and society in a way that makes them feel outside the box. In our documentary, My Beautiful Stutter, for example, we spoke to the founder of the Stuttering Association of the Young, who said he didn't meet another person who stutters until he was in his 20s which was the driving force for him starting the association. Our CEO, Patrick, regular host of the Bloodstream podcast, started to believe with a similar mindset, that we should do everything we can to normalize being different, normalize having conditions that make us unique, that cause us to struggle and overcome, because there really is no normal. 
Normal is not a state of being. It's a word, a word that I think is used to confine us into little definable boxes that can be checked off on a clipboard. But if I've learned anything from working in the documentary and storytelling field over the past 10 years, it's that we are all different in one way or another, and that's what makes being human so beautiful and interesting and, and worth it. I'm rambling a bit here, and this is, in fact, a mini episode, and this is, in fact, the Bloodstream podcast. And while I'd love to fly off the rails here and dive into the never-ending complexity of human differences, I think we should pull this back into the world of bleeding disorders and get some insight from an expert in the field of mental health. And who else would we do that with other than the founder of Mental Health Matters 2 and lifelong mental health advocate, the incomparable Debbie De La Riva. What an awesome intro. Today we're talking about isolation, and I think we've all been experiencing it on various different levels. How's it been for you recently? Yeah, I had a, a nice positive twist to my isolation in the sense that my young adults uh, had to come home and live. So um, it's oh. been kind of a silver lining for me type of thing. I wanted to talk specifically about the bleeding disorders community and, and how isolation presents itself within that community. Can you give us a little insight? Oh, yeah, completely. And, and as usual with blood Bloodstream, I mean, you guys are just spot on with what's really going on in the real world and, uh, and outside of our bleeding disorder community. But, you know, before I get started, I just want to tell you a little bit, Josh, about what we know about loneliness and, and yeah, isolation please. in general. Uh, just to kind of put some uh, context around it. This is something that's been pretty well studied, especially in the past 10 years. Um, we even know that, uh, you know, loneliness, it's like, a, it's like a cycle. Loneliness can create all kinds of physical health problems uh, and, and mental health conditions. And it's by having those conditions that it also that you feel a little bit more lonely and isolated. So it, it's really, really important we talk about it, especially since we have a rare bleeding disorder. It's been super timely in the sense that, uh, I don't know if you know about this, Josh, but anytime you want to get some kind of mental health screening, <laughs> I promise it's related, uh, Mental <laughs> Health America has uh, um, mental health screenings, and they've been tracking what's going on with us, uh, and especially in the past year. And because of the pandemic, you know, the people that are saying, they're registering that they do have actual depression or anxiety conditions, of those people, about 70% of them are, are citing loneliness to be really the main contributing factor feeding into their, to their angst, basically. I'm a therapist with the BetterHelp platform, and that's exactly what's going on. And especially, it's the people in their 20s and 30s that do seem to show that they are the most lonely right now. They're just trying to figure out who they are in the world and trying to connect to people. To, so they feel, um, you know, like they, they have purpose and they have... Um, their home, their new home to go to. Yeah, social media is helping us feel pretty connected, but uh, but not not exactly less lonely. Yeah, and then w when you add into the mix having either a rare disorder or being from a different part of society or like being raised differently in a economically, you know, where you were raised, like all, all of those things, I feel like can contribute as well to the the feeling of isolation or loneliness. Very much so. I, um, you know, you kind of asked me to, to to look at loneliness within the community, and I'm telling you, Josh, it didn't didn't take a lot of effort to 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 fill out how it presents itself. Um, a, a lot of this I'm I'm basing on research, and a lot of it, most of it, I'm I'm basing on 
the fact of going around the nation and talking to our community and really listening to, you know, what their challenges are with feeling isolated. What are some of the things you've been finding? First of all, you know, it's just plain geography. Um, I know of uh, um, families down in South Texas that, I mean, they are really three and a half hours away from their treatment center or their chapters. They can go for a long time before finding anybody that is really like them. So just that geographical difference is big. Also, um, I've been doing a lot of work with our, our older guys in the community. You know, it wasn't too surprising when I found the research to back up what I'm hearing in the halls of conference rooms. Uh, mm-hmm. Back in 2012, the Arizona Treatment Center did a study, and what they found is 30% of the guys, it, it, a lot of them had hep C and, and, H, and HIV, but 37% of them showed indications of depression and anxiety. That's not the real surprising part. When they got down to the to the part of what's really creating this in you, it's really not having a support system and, and unemployment, which is, of course, the other part of yeah feeling isolated from purpose. I also, this gives me a great chance, Josh, to talk about that part of our community that have lost so many people due to what I call the Holocaust that happened within our community. And also people who are family members of people who didn't have prophylaxis, uh, like my son did, who's now 26. They're still living with the effects, uh, the the joints and, and the pain. And I don't know if it's going to be a surprise to the listeners to hear about how they feel forgotten by the community. That you go to a conference and you can't necessarily, they don't necessarily feel connected to this other subset that's coming up with virtually no bleeds and no pain. Sure, yeah, it's 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 a very different world. For those of you listening who might not know um, what Debbie's referencing as far as the the Holocaust for this community. In the 1980s, something like 90% of people with hemophilia were infected with HIV from their medicine because we didn't know about heat treating. And then when we did discover heat treating, a lot of the pharmaceutical companies didn't want to lose their profits. And so the medicine was still being put out into the population. A lot of people were needlessly infected after the information was discovered. It's a heavy thing. Um, There's a great documentary about it called Bad Blood, and we cover it a little bit in Bombardier Blood as well. But just to kind of get back to the conversation, I can see how how having the different generations and and medical advances can make you feel separate. And it it feels like there's also maybe um, feelings of like, oh, am I a part of the hemophilia community, the bleeding disorders community, the AIDS community, HIV, uh, mm-hmm. hep C? Like, um, it, it must be challenging to know where to go for, for your support. Yeah, and just to fall in on that line, too, because I, I just, I'm excited that I'm able to talk about this and, and honor the feelings of subsets in our community, because even it, women, women have talked about how they feel less than um, sometimes within an entire bleeding sort of community, like they don't have it uh, as bad as someone with hemophilia, uh, which we know is completely untrue. But th- that's another group that can sometimes feel isolated. Great news is I can see our national organizations have are really picking that up and, and improving upon that. And so everybody feels as important and as valued. Yeah, there's really been an awakening in the past couple of years um, where we've realized just, you know, the amount of times that we haven't believed women just because uh, they bleed monthly um, Mm -hmm. and just, oh, oh, you must just have a heavy period or, 
you know, stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. So, and um, and then the last thing I want to say about loneliness in, in general, but also within our community, what we're finding when somebody is feeling different for a long, long period of time, uh, something comes up in their minds, which I call the inner critic. And it's kind of like those voices in your head that perpetuate the idea that you are different. Nobody understands you. You might be less than, might be a burden to others. So I just really like the chance for listeners to examine their brains and, and, and what are those messages they're saying to themselves because they have a rare condition. And um, hopefully then they can challenge those voices and make it more self-compassionate, which means we're all different. What are some ways that we can go about doing that? How do we you know, positively react to these negative thoughts? Number one, the first thing is to become aware of it because it becomes so ingrained in your sense of self. You know, my blood doesn't clot, so I'm not normal. And, and, and then just to really see how that plays out in your life. Um, many times people just identify with being defective, and, but they don't um, challenge those voices and say, no, that's not the case. I am resilient. Um, I'm more resilient than the average person because I can deal with all this stuff and I can still thrive. So recognizing the voices, challenging them, and if you have a hard time doing it yourself, you know, reaching out to a professional to, um, to, to help you challenge these beliefs that are keeping you down. Yeah, and, and to that note, I've got to say, I've, I've wanted to go to a therapist for a long time. I've, I've felt it would be beneficial, but for whatever reason, I've pushed it off. I've pushed it mm -hmm. off. I recently just, um, I as a hobby, sometimes do birth photography. Um, and oh, I was cool. just a part of a birth that was relatively traumatic for the whole team, but ended up mm -hmm. positive. And I didn't realize how much I was holding on to. And a friend of mine put me in touch with a doula who helps process these sorts of things. And we talked for an hour. And I just cannot express how valuable it was to even just talk to someone who understands what mm -hmm. I saw and what I experienced because it normalized it for me and it, it made me feel okay about the feelings I was having or, or how long it was taking for me to process it. Um, so if, if there's anybody out there listening who um, likes the idea of therapy but is maybe afraid to do it, um, I can tell you from my personal experience, I was really just blown away by how simple it was and I didn't even talk to a therapist yet but it's <laughs> on my it's on my quick list of things to do because of how much I benefited just from talking to someone who had a common experience. I just want to thank you Josh personally for just being part of the solution about just destigmatizing this. Therapy is for anyone that wants to understand what they just went through and, and integrate it and and learn from it. Yeah, and it's not something you have to commit to long term. If you don't like the therapist you you matched up with, you can find another one. If you don't want to mm -hmm. go every single week, you can choose what works for you. It's not um, any sort of rigid structure. No, it's not. But a lot of people get stuck, Josh, because I think um, going to therapy is the only way you know to get better, to feel better about yourself. And um, you'll hear me talk about this particular website throughout these different podcasts. I want people to know that um, there are work workbooks that have been developed by professionals where you can just work through your own, you can work these things out through yourselves. I mean, hear about the concepts, write down how it really, what that experience really did feel for you. And um, you can work at your own pace. Uh, so therapy is not the only way to go. There's, these are not just self-help books. These are written by professionals. And if you were doing it on a one-on-one, -on -one, they would be talking about the same type of concepts and exercises. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Where can we find that? New Harbinger Publications. Again, it's New Harbinger Publications, and we'll put it in the notes at the end. Definitely. Those are some amazing new resources that I didn't know about. Ones that I didn't know about are for NHF, there is Steps for Living. It's stepsforliving.hemophilia.org. And I would encourage chapter leaders to request one of NHF's educational sessions at a chapter event. They're super awesome. And then HFA is currently developing content for mental health in their Learning Central link on their website. It's located at hemophiliafed.org slash the Institute. Their mental health portion of Learning Central is coming soon. Uh, And those are both going to be really credible resources for people to check out. Debbie, we've learned so much in just a few short minutes with you, and we've really dredged up some good feelings and thoughts. Would you mind taking us out with a little moment of mindfulness to set our expectations for a good rest of the day? Oh, yeah, definitely. Great. So we'll end on a short meditation and send you, dear listener, on your way to a healthy and happy rest of your day. If you want more resources pertaining to mental health, please check out mentalhealthmatters2.com. That's mentalhealthmatters2.com, where you can find just tons of information and resources pertaining to mental wellness. I'll see you next week for another mini episode where we talk about trauma and mental health. And now for your moment of mindfulness with Debbie. What I'd like you to do, I'd invite you to to close your eyes for just a moment and realize that you're breathing. As silly as that sounds. But I don't want you just to breathe. I want you to actually experience your breath. And what you want to do is breathe in and count to four and breathe out and count backwards from four. So it's breathe in, one, two, three, four, out, four, three, two, one. And do a couple of cycles of this. And really feel what that's like to have air in your belly or what the air feels like as it goes through your nose. And then whenever you're ready, just kind of let your breathing go to normal. And it's really, really important for people to understand that all of these feelings, whether it's feeling depressed are anxious, are not good enough. They're just as normal as the breath going in and out of your body. It's simply the human experience. And when you can just have your feelings without attaching any type of meaning to it, allow the feelings to do their job, and that is to let you know that things might not be okay right now, but eventually they will be. And then after you've had a few minutes to do this, you might want to focus yourself back into the room, but know at any time you can always go back to the safe, 
quiet spot where you can have your feelings, you can experience in them, know the normal, and move about your day. Just like the breath continues to go in and out, so will different challenges, and you'll rise above them. So I'd like to invite people to go ahead and open your eyes, kind of feel yourself in the room again. And know it's just okay not to feel okay sometimes. <laughs>